0: I want to start, as we do, just about every week, uh, for the most part, going verse by verse. I will skip a couple verses early on, but at the end I'll come back and tie them in, I promise. So don't go like, hey, oh, didn't talk about that. I'll get to it, <laughs> or, at least I think I will. Um, so verse 18, let's start there. In this verse, John tells us that antichrists are present in the last hour. So children, he writes. It is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. And therefore, we know that it is the last hour. We've seen the language of children before numerous times. We, we, we know what that means. But he follows by saying it is the last hour. And at the end of this verse, he says we know that it is the last hour. But this was written a little over 1,900 years ago, and we like to talk about the end times today in such a way that it kind of sounds like Jesus is probably going to come back before my kids die, if not in my life, certainly in my children's life. But I see this, and they were in the last days then, and I think we can very easily justify saying the same thing today, and... When we think about this for a little bit, we have to realize that we might be in the last days 2,000 years from now. And what I've done is, 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 and I can't present most of it to you for the sake of time, but I looked at every single occurrence in the scripture where it talked about the last days. And my conclusion is that the last days began... Around the time that Jesus ascended back to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. Now those two things happened a few weeks apart. But the beginning of the church age is the last days. We see this as in Acts chapter 2. Peter starts preaching a sermon where 3,000 people get baptized and they're saved. And in Acts 2.16 he says that what you see taking place is what the prophet Joel uttered. And he quotes Joel and he says, In the last days it shall be. God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so that was the beginning of the last days. And we are still in that time and in that day here and now. As you continue to read in verse 18, it says, John, John's readers are hearing John say, You have heard the Antichrist is coming. Okay? We got books like this called Nikolai." that are on some of our shelves. And and we're kind of familiar with this idea of antichrist. And we we see that, we, we for the most part understand that there's going to be one really, really bad antichrist at the end. But John here says, you have heard the antichrist is coming. So Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins with the Left Behind series, they didn't uncover this idea. Now, they might have popularized the idea, but John's readers were already aware that an Antichrist would be coming. But he goes on to say in the middle of verse 18, So now many Antichrists have come. We have to take John in his plain meaning of what he says. And it's very clear that there are many antichrists. Well, how many are there? I think there's a lot. Amen. And in a few moments we'll look to see what an antichrist really is. Well, there were antichrists then. And there are antichrists now. And there's been antichrists in between. But will there be one, like, supreme antichrist of antichrists, plural? I do think there will be. Amen. I do think that there will be. I think that the different biblical writers use different terms for the antichrist. I think that Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 calls him the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. I think that in Revelation chapter 13, we see the Antichrist of Antichrists spoken of. And uh, the Olivet Discourse in Mark 24 and Mark chapter... I'm sorry, Matthew 24 and Mark 13. We covered uh, Mark 13 in December. But there, Jesus warns about false Christ. He warns of imposters, And I believe that he is speaking of Antichrists with that also. And... You can even trace the idea of Antichrist all the way back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. but In chapters 7 and 8, and I think 10 and 12, there's four places in that last half of Daniel's prophecy where what Daniel is prophesying very much lines up with what John says here and with what Jesus says and with what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I say all that to say this. Antichrist is not just one really bad dude who's going to betray the whole world at some point in the future. Now, I I do think that that guy will come. But John is not primarily talking about that guy. He's talking about people we know. This isn't some far-off thing. This is nitty-gritty people in our community who are antichrists they deny that Jesus is the Christ they deny the union between the father the perfect eternal union between the father and the son and they've been in our churches they've been here and there is a possibility that one of us sitting here today could be one of these people. And we're going to see that as we go on. So I do think that closer to the time of the day of the Lord or final judgment, there will be an ultimate Antichrist who will deceive everyone except for God's elect. And that's in Mark thirteen twenty-two. Everyone that does not belong to God, who has not been chosen by God, will be deceived by the Antichrist but I do think for the purpose of today's message, we must realize that the main thing that John is writing about is not the really big bad guy at some point in the future, but anti people who deny that Jesus is Christ who are amongst us today. Now let me just speak to the Christian culture that most of us have come, or all of us have come up in. We have been way too obsessed with antichrist. John is the only one who uses the word. And the word Antichrist only appear five times in the Bible. Four times in First John, one time in Second John. I wonder, how would our nation and our world be different today if, instead, if we would not have spent millions of dollars and hours and hours trying to figure out who this Antichrist is? and writing books and reading books and seeing all these movies that for the most part are very speculative in nature. If we would not have spent all that time and energy and money doing all that stuff, and if we would have taken that and been serving the poor, taking care of widows, and just fueling the fire of world missions, I think we'd have a lot more to show for ourselves than we do. But I think all this speculation, I'll say 95% of this speculation about who the Antichrist is and exactly how the details of everything's going to pan out in the future, the unbelieving world looks at us and they think we're ridiculous. And I can point you to a conversation I had four or five weeks ago with an unbelieving woman about this. And she, she didn't think we're ridiculous because she disagrees with us about the gospel. She thinks we're ridiculous for some very specific reasons that come from her experience firsthand. We have put far too much emphasis on who it is and when it's going to happen. And we have neglected our current responsibility in the here and now. And we need to change that. We need to correct that. So I ask the question, based on this text, what does John tell us about the Antichrist? What does he tell us? Well, first off, they were in the church, but they didn't stick around. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So that means they were in the church, but they didn't really belong to the church. They weren't really one of the redeemed, as, we, as Dwight led us in earlier. So they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, let me go ahead and say this. John is not saying that everyone who leaves a local church is an antichrist. There are, are, we have brothers and sisters in this community who have left this church in the last six years that know Jesus, that we will spend eternity with in heaven forever. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe strongly that some of the people that we know who have left this church don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. But yet they were here and they were even serving with this or with that or with that in some situations. We have people that were with us but they didn't continue with us. So the second part of verse 19, they went out. Why did they go out? That it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, when they left and when they rejected our teaching about Jesus, it became clear that they're not a Christian, even though they hung out with us for two years. This was not a new idea. The Apostle Paul, later in his life, he goes to the church of Ephesus. He wants to have a quick meeting with the elders. He's an old man by this point. This is in Acts chapter 20. He's an old man by this point, and he wants to see the elders. The elders, the people that he discipled in the Lord to lead the church. He wants to see them one last time before he dies. And in that chapter, in verse 29, he says to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. That's verses 28, 29, 30, and 31. So, John is saying that there's Antichrists that were with us that have now left. Now, we, I think it's implied that Antichrists could be with us now. And Paul it, was saying to them that even some of you elders, even some of you that are wholly committed within... I didn't look at you intentionally, Joe. I have no suspicion <laughs> of you when I say this. Okay? <laughs> so... Even some of the most committed, most active are going to rise up and they're going to leave and they're going to try to deceive you and take you out and do twisted, teach twisted things. Our responsibility is to be alert. Verse 26, going back to 1 John 2, John tells us that the Antichrist, these people amongst us in our community and maybe even in our church, they're trying to deceive the people. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So this leads to the next question. What are these deceivers saying? What are these antichrists saying? Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. They're saying that Jesus was not the Christ. And they denied the union between the Father and the Son. What does it mean that Jesus is not the Christ? Is Christ Jesus' last name? Like Caleb, uh, uh, Cadence Pierce or Kyle Truman or Hunter Derby. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It is the same word... Well, it, it, is, it means the exact same thing as the word Messiah. The word Christ comes from the Greek language. The word Messiah comes from the Hebrew language. And so when they denied that he was the Christ, they denied he was the Messiah. And who is the Messiah? The Messiah was the prophesied one. The Messiah was the one that, that you, we see all the way back, even in Genesis 3, and that was prophesied, that, that was shown in the nation of Israel. That You, you can see glimpses of, of the Messiah as God's people were rescued from slavery in Egypt. You can see it all through the prophetic writings. You can see it in Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, so many Old Testament passages where we see the Messiah, that He's going to be the one sent from God to bring restoration to creation and to offer forgiveness and salvation to anyone who would call on Him. God's people were looking for the Messiah. The people in that day when the Messiah came, many of them called Jesus the Christ because the Greek language was the predominant language of the world that Jesus came into. So Messiah and Christ mean the same thing and they're denying that Jesus is the one prophesied and sent by God for the salvation of the world. We see this in verse 22. And notice that John calls them liars. Sometimes godly people have to say that they are liars. Sometimes in the church we talk like that. Not fun. We've got to do it sometime. I've done it before. You know me well enough to know. So we're actually probably going to watch a film about this called American Gospel some point later this summer. And we'll discuss some of these modern-day antichrists and liars at a later time. So these people who had left the church, they had created a different Jesus. Instead of us making God in his image, we sometimes make the error of making God in our image. And we like to impose our presuppositions and our philosophical assumptions or whatever culture or worldview we come from. We like to impose those things on the gospel. It's like trying to drive a square peg into a round hole. It just gets really messy and it's hard and it just doesn't work. But for us, we cannot make the same error. As, as these people did, we cannot create a different Jesus. We must not do it. When you look outside of the Bible and, and learn from history about what was being taught during this time, one of the prevailing and popular ideas that was floating around out there, and it's highly likely that this is what John was encountering, was that Jesus was born. I'm not sure if he was born of a virgin or not. I wasn't able to figure that out. But they believed that Jesus was born as a human, just like us, and that was it. There was no Messiah. There was no Christ. He was not God in the flesh, as Christians have believed for 2,000 years. But at his baptism, the Christ descended from God and came and dwelled upon Jesus. And they taught, that's when the godhood of Jesus or or the deity of Christ kind of began. And they believed that because God can't die, that while Jesus was suffering on the cross before he took his last breath, that the Christ went back to God in heaven and Jesus died as a man. That was a popular teaching of the day. It evolved and turned into something known as Gnosticism. They believed that there was Jesus... And then there was the Christ, and these were two separate entities. As Christians, we believe that two separate natures, the divine nature and the human nature, came together into one entity, the man Jesus. And both natures dwelled perfectly. Perfectly. But they separated these two things, and they denied the godhood. Of Jesus, they denied the union of the Father and the Son and the very fact that God would dwell with man and become incarnate in His creation. And the thing that the worldview that drove them to this is that it it was found in Greek literature and in Greek philosophy, but the majority of the world at that time believed that anything physical was bad or evil. And that there was only good in the spirit realm, in the immaterial realm. And so they came across the gospel message. They came across the scriptures that they had at that time. And they said there's no way that can be true because of this thing that God can't become creation because God's perfect and creation is not. That's just impossible, so we can't take the scripture We can't take the gospel and what it really says. So we have to add a few ingredients to it because we like some of what it says. We have to change the message so that it can become what we want it to be, what we think it should be. When they did this, they imposed their own reasoning, their own philosophical presuppositions and worldview. They, they threw those things upon God when they should have thrown those things aside and taught what God had clearly revealed about Himself. That the perfect God of the universe came and dwelled in flesh, just like you and I are. That He was born just like us. That He had to use the bathroom just like us. That He got hungry just like us. That He probably was hurt Just like, he most definitely was hurt, just like us. He was, and he died, just like us. Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, died. He did. It happened. He was fully God. He died. And so, these antichrists remade Jesus. Sometimes we do this today, too. We think, well, God is love, so certainly he couldn't throw people into an eternal hell. And what we do is we take a word like love and we change the definition of it to suit our own interests. And then we totally neglect a clear teaching of Scripture like his righteousness and holiness and the certainty of divine judgment. Where the guilty will be guilty and, and the innocent will be innocent. And, and you know, So we redefine some terms and then we neglect other teaching of Scripture... And then we get this dumb idea that everyone's going to go to heaven. And it's just not true. See, we like to say God loves you enough to accept you as you are. But we stop there. If we stop there, we're in trouble. Because that's just not true. If that's all you say. But if we say God loves you enough to accept you as you are. And then we say, but he loves you enough not to let you stay that way. That's truth. That's truth. We have our ideas and this worldview that we're in. We have these things that we've believed all our life. We have these things in the media come to us. We have to be so careful to let what we believe be defined by the Word of God and not by the notions presented to us on TBS or TVN, whatever it is. We've got to be so careful. Moving on. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This verse confirms that God the Father and Jesus, who is God the Son, go together. They are a package. When you get one, you get the other. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to have Jesus. He's the only way to God. And as I was... In these verses over the last few weeks, I couldn't help but think about some of the creeds and the confessions and even catechisms that are a part of the Christian tradition. One creed that was written in 325 A.D., it says this about Jesus, that we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before our worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So, 1700 years ago, they said Jesus is one substance with the Father. All right, that's on board with what John is writing to, to the people he's writing to. Our catechism question next week who is the Redeemer? And this is the adult version, but who is the Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. We have creeds. We have confessions. Whether it might be the Westminster or the London Baptist Confession or um, Luther's Catechism. We have this rich heritage of Christian truth that has been preserved through generations and generations and generations. It's basic teaching for us as Christians. And, and, And so these things have value. To us, and these things are rooted in Scripture. Not that they're always correct. They can. There are catechisms that are not true and not correct. But when you find a good one, you stick with it. So, so this, we've so far we've covered who the antichrists are, and what they're saying and what they're teaching. Next, I want to cover what does John want us to do. All right. So that's for each of us. This is the application. What does John want us to do? There in verse 23, he says, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John wants you to confess the Son. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world? That is the only way to be saved. Is to place your faith in the Christ, in the Messiah, in the one sent from God. Second thing John wants us to do, He wants us to abide in the gospel. Verse 24 and 25. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What are you supposed to let abide or remain? Some of your translations say remain. Both of these words are very good translations. What are you supposed to let abide in you? What you heard from the beginning. Now, I want to point out a difference between John's original readers and us today. When his readers first heard of Jesus, they heard the true gospel. They hadn't heard a whole bunch of other stuff prior to that. Us today, some of us, or even many of us, and some of us have been a part of cults in the past who taught horrible, outrageous error about Jesus. Many of us in here were taught the wrong thing first, and then we discovered the gospel, which is the right thing. Okay, well, well, for you, John isn't saying... The first thing you heard about Jesus. But for them, the first thing they ever heard about Jesus was right. And it was true. So verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let that gospel message abide in you on an ongoing basis. See, the gospel isn't just for lost people to get them saved. The gospel is for saved people so that you would persevere in your faith. The good news of jesus death and resurrection is something that we need to meditate, meditate, not meditate, meditate on every single day so that we are not overcome by guilt and shame for the indwelling sin that, that sticks around with us that we give ourselves over to from time to time. We need to meditate on the gospel today because it keeps us grateful because Jesus did something for us that we can 't do. I could go on all day for that, but the gospel. It's not just for lost people. It's not just for evangelistic rallies. It is for God's people every single day and especially every time that we gather. So let you, verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And if you want to know what they heard from the beginning, read the first three chapters of 1 John. Joe preached on it very well a month ago. Verse 24, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And I read that, and I think it's safe to assume that if you do not let what you heard from, if you do not let the gospel abide in you, then you will not abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25, this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Have you confessed that Jesus is the Christ? Are you abiding in the message of the gospel? If you are, then eternal life is promised to you. You will die once, but you will not go through the eternal second death of divine judgment and the eternal flames of hell. But you will have eternal life in the presence of God Almighty. So John wants us to confess the Son. John wants us to abide in the gospel. And John wants us to understand what he has done for us. And he wants us to abide in Jesus. What has he done for us? Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Now let me say this. If you watch TV preachers, and depending on what church you've been to in the past, the anointing might be what comes upon some guy when he gets way up on the stage and he's hooping and he's hopping and you get excited out there and you stand up and you're hooping and hopping too. And the more people that stand up, the greater his anointing is. The more exciting he is or she is, the greater that anointing is. There's this idea that the more hype there is, the greater the presence of God is. And that can be true, but it's not necessarily true. And there's this idea that the anointing is only for people like that. But this tells me that the anointing is for all of God's people. Every single one of God's people. You, plural in the original language, verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One. It's something you receive, it's not something you work hard to get, but it's something you receive from God. And what is the result of that? The end of verse 20, it says, You all have knowledge. What is that knowledge? You know that Jesus is the Christ. That's the knowledge. And there's more to it than that. But that's the most important thing. You all have knowledge. Now let's go to verse 27. well, Well, let me say this. The anointing. In the Old Testament. In that culture, they were familiar with anointing. If someone was given a specific task by God, they'd be anointed with oil. We see that for the kings of Israel. We see that for the high priest, and even other priests within Jewish worship. And oil would be dumped over top of someone's head. It would run down their body. And this was ceremonial in nature. It would show in the physical what was true in the plan of God. You know, sometimes God's plan is invisible. His thoughts, the intention of his heart. Well, every once in a while, it gets real physical. And you do something like dump a bottle of oil all over someone's head. You do something like put bread in your mouth or drink a little cup of juice. Because in the physical is speaking to this transcendent reality that you can't really grab hold of with your hand. At least not today. And it takes us to that place. And it brings the immaterial thing or the invisible thing. And it puts it in the forefront of our mind. And when you see anointing in the Holy Spirit, or I'm sorry, when you see anointing in the Old Testament, it also points to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that in John's mind, even though he doesn't say it, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Lots of reasons for that. Um, Read John 14, John 15, and John 16. You'll see what I'm talking about. So that's verse 20. We get to verse 27. It's a bit trickier. And and we didn't get to this in our discussion. Verse 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Well, I'm going to go home right now. (laughs) Does John mean you don't need teachers? No. Why is he writing the letter with all this important stuff? That's not what John is saying. You need teachers. That's all over the Bible. Read Ephesians 4 and 10 other passages. It's all over the place. We need teachers. I need a teacher. You need teachers. We all have our favorite teachers. Okay. John is not saying you don't need a teacher. What he's saying is that you don't need people coming to you. And his readers knew this. You don't need people coming to you and saying, You have to get what I'm teaching and I'm the only one who has it right. I have all this secret information and everyone else is off. Come with me. If you don't come with me, you're going to get it all wrong. It, it, it has to do with something that they called back then special knowledge. Knowledge that is not available to everyone. But I am so great. I have that knowledge. John's saying don't follow those guys that they're whack jobs. They're crazy. Get away from them. That right there is what he's saying. So verse 27 goes on to say... You have no one that should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. See, the anointing teaches you. What is the anointing? Have you ever had that time in your life where you're reading the Bible or you're hearing God's Word preached, and all of a sudden, you're, you're just being flooded with all this information and knowledge and reality of God do you remember when that happened in your life maybe you were thinking about something that someone told you at some point in the past maybe you just came across a piece of scripture here or there then all of a sudden the spiritual world just opened, the doors were opened wide I think the Bible refers to this as regeneration all of a sudden we have this spiritual life in us and all of a sudden we're Our eyes didn't see and our ears didn't hear. All of a sudden, our eyes are seeing and our ears are hearing. That's when the anointing, that's when you receive the anointing. You look at God's word and it makes sense and you see the gospel. See, we discover that it's one thing to read the scriptures. I'm quoting my pastor in Tampa in a sermon he did in this years ago. But we discover that it's one thing to read the scriptures. It's another thing to have the Holy Spirit come and reveal Jesus Christ to you in the Scriptures. It's one thing to know that Christ dwells in your heart. It's another thing to sense it. It's one thing to understand with your head. It's another thing to have the Holy Spirit make it live in your heart. Is the anointing upon you? Do you notice in verse 27? It says the anointing you receive from Him abides in you. See, once that starts, it doesn't stop. Amen. Now, you can shut it out for a period of time. And Hebrews 12 said, God gives you a spanking when He does that. He disciplines those He loves, and you come back. Okay? But that anointing does not leave. Our responsibility comes at the end of verse 27. And what is it that God wants us to do today? Just as the anointing teaches us, let us abide in that anointing. Let us cling to the Scriptures. And if you do watch a preacher on TV, and some of them are very good, and some of them are very bad, if you do watch a TV preacher, be so careful. Be so careful, because they can sound so good and be leading thousands of people to hell. Please be careful. We must be so familiar with this book that is before us. We must take great measure to not be deceived. And we must ask ourselves, does God lead us and show us? When we read the Bible, is he just pouring forth truth into our hearts and our minds as we read it? Or is, is everything just super cloudy? If it's super cloudy, there's a chance that you might not know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never had this experience of the anointing like what I'm talking about, if you aren't sure if Jesus is the Christ, if you're trying to figure that out, what do you do? If you come to God, you receive Jesus by faith, you turn from your sin, you realize and recognize that all the good things I've done isn't enough to cover up all the bad things I've done. And you come to God and you confess your sin and your need of Him. And you say, God, I've screwed it all up. I've been building my own kingdom. And you haven't been my king. But Jesus, I want you send your Holy Spirit so that I may see you and know how to live my life. Amen. You pray a prayer like that. If you're not sure, you come to God with that spirit. With that attitude of surrender and repentance. You come to God like that. And He is going to make Himself known to you so much. It's just beautiful. It's just incredible. God's invitation to us is to abide in Him today. And if you aren't sure if you abide in Him, then you come to Him in faith. He will save you and He will be upon you. Let's pray.